What does it take to become an elite 40k player? How do the top competitors overcome bad dice? The Competitive 40k Network presents Art of War Unbroken. Insight into the game plans of the top players on the planet with your hosts, Blake Law and the Art of War Coaches. Welcome back to the Art of War Unbroken. This is part two of the episodes. If you haven't listened to part one yet, go check it out. We're joined again today by our guest, Mr. Jack Harpster, Mr. Black Templar, although he's playing sisters for our purposes today, multiple national event winner, 40K's best kept secret, and we're really glad to have you back. My co-host today is Mr. Nick Nanavati. We all know all of his accolades, Adepticon, Nova, Team USA, former ITC champion, the tosser of the Lombardi Trophy. Welcome back again, Nick. Thanks for having me. Always a pleasure, Blake. And just a reminder, if you love what you hear from these guys today, they're both available as coaches on theartofwar40k.com. We got a whole list of award-winning players there available to give you the coaching needs that you deserve to be a better player. So recall in the previous episode, we talked about a tale as old as time. Jack's sister slipping to the great Jakari Menace, piloted by Nick. Players around the country felt his pain, as well as the pain of countless other victims. We all know Jakari gained power from pain. So Nick, tell us how this power... This win empowered your body for the rest of the event. <laughs> this win, this win empowered me to go on and lose the next round. But I was definitely <laughs> empowered. Yeah, well done. Glad I could do that for you. The loss was actually covered last week on War Unbroken's episode one. If you haven't checked that one out, go back and do that. It's a great one. <laughs> all right, you really well, did a good job. You didn't fumble the ball at all, Nick. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, Jack, let's dig into what you learned from the event. How you plan to kind of move forward when you face Shikari. Uh, well, with Chikari, you can't get sloppy with with how you use your units. You can't, if you get in a brawl with them, like you just start trading random units for random units, uh, you, you will lose that one. So you have to make sure that while you're fighting them, that your each unit that you have has a specific target in their army that it has to go kill. Um, and it's, it's very easy, and it's incredibly easy to start just using your units just to solve problems, but they need to solve specific units. It can't just be this unit needs to solve a center objective. This unit needs to go solve this, you know, area up here. It needs to be Slithurgle Party, Repentia. Uh, racks, you know, rack boats, retributors. It needs to be, you know, using Arcoflagellants to do the skirmishing. It can't, it, you can't go out of sequence. You can't start slipping and using Repentia to solve skirmishing issues or whatnot. Because you will lose because then we'll have an answer you can't, a problem you can't answer. So it's really all about efficiency, yeah. Like you're trading, you're trading good trades, and if you make a bad one, they really make you pay for it. Yeah, you basically, I think you can make a couple of minor bad trades, but any major bad trades, and you will lose. Yeah, I think that's a great way to look at it too, because not it's not just like units for units with Dark Eldar. Like there's different efficiencies to be found. Like witches die much faster to random bolters and bolt pistols than they do to like punching me to death with in combat. And like Enkibai, they can take bolters forever but like a couple las gun las cannons and melted guns or whatever they're all just dead so allocating the type of weapons also and the type of unit attacks to this specific problem is really important too they're all soft enough that they'll go down to anything if you apply enough force but you can get a lot of efficiency out of trying to match up the profiles yeah and you can't get greedy i got greedy i sent my repension on a, on a suicide mission they didn't do anything and that ended up being a significant factor in the game so you can't get greedy and you have to make sure that the right units hit the right units. 
I think that's another great point. I think uh, one mistake I typically find a lot of players make against Dark, Dark Delta, like this happens to me almost every game. Someone will make a one-two combo punch play where they get their guns out to blow up a boat and then get something else out to kill what's inside. And between just like disembarking off of the giant hole that is the Raider, I got like an eight inch long length and a three inch on each side width. I can go all over the place, factor in emergency disembarks, and it's so hard to pinpoint where the units are going to fall out of. It's not feasible for you to one-two punch combo a Raider than the squad inside if I don't want you to. It, it might be if it's just a, a open wasteland and I have a Raider in the middle of nowhere and you have a lot of range. But anything with like reasonable ruins on the board or containers or places to hide little Dark Eldar troops, there's so little scrappy. It's hard to do those kind of plays. Yeah, it's very hard. And with with the sisters, with the rhino rush, you also have to make sure you leave, while you push up the board, you leave your rhinos next to walls, that sort of thing. So when they blow up your vehicles, but they will, you get out, you can get out onto objectives, you can get out behind walls, uh, just keep your units alive. The last thing you want is for them to blow up a boat and everything inside, or in your case, a truck. So in, in the game we played at the tournament, we kind of highlighted the big mistake in the first place was the Rapunche getting out and doing basically nothing. And that started a really bad trade war, where you just started putting Band-Aids on all the problems until you had slits and intervals and the game ended. So if we take that game and then we don't throw the pension away, how does it progress then? And like, what can you do to set up favorable trades? Well, I think we actually, we actually played a game a lot like that in practice, right? Um, that, in that game, the, both Repentia squads connected with the two Slith and Urgle party units. Um, Probably the game that convinced me actually to take sisters to mm-hmm. Dallas. Both Repentia squads connected with the Slith and Urgle parties. Uh, both Slith and Urgle parties died or went to one man units, functionally dead. Uh, and the game, certainly not over. In fact, Nick was in the process of running me over, but the points were so close that it ended up being a draw. Um, that felt really good. It was a draw into Dark Eldar, solid. Um, but Nick was able to keep his Slith and Urgles alive, start bad trades, capitalize on my mistakes, and suddenly, you know, I wasn't able to do the same thing I did in that game. Also, you just didn't throw up your Slith and Urgle into the center of the board like you did in that practice game. Well, it's funny you say that. You played that practice game and took away, like, yeah, I'm going to play Sisters at uh, Dallas. If I can draw Nick Stark Eldar, I'm in decent shape here. And then... I took away from that practice game, oh crap, I can't throw my Slits and Urgles into Repentia. Like, I can't let that happen because that's the loss condition. That's your only answer to it. So I played with that practice game's knowledge at Dallas to not give you my Slits and Urgles. plan A. Exactly, because I made the decision, the game's going downhill, I'm going to use my Repentia to get board control. How much can Slits and Urgles do, really? And the answer is a lot. But because I didn't have that... You were on the functionally the losing end of that practice game. It meant that you took a lot more away from that than I was able to. Mm-hmm. It it seems to me that um, the a large part of that game was predicated on first turn as well. Because I I got first turn, I just flew out there and I shot you, and it just became this war, which was then ended by the scenario goals because I got you to misallocate trades. Had I gone second. You would have had to like come towards me a little bit, and I would have played a much more passive reserve game at you. So, yeah, a lot. I'm not, I have no idea how that would have ended up, but I'm just it would have created a very different dynamic to the match. Very different. Uh, I ended up actually winning both my games into Dark Elder where I went first, and losing both my games into Dark Elder where I went second. Interesting. Yeah. So what's the what's what's there? 
So I actually played James Kelly in the following round after you, uh, and you weren't the only one who lost in round six. Um, I also did. James got first turn. Uh, his corner ruin uh, was not obscuring for whatever reason. It just wasn't. And he just pushed deep up the board. And you know how I blew up five year boats and that turned into a war? Well, I blew up two, two, maybe two in a rate, uh, two in a venom, I think, maybe three of his six boats, seven boats. And I got run over. <laughs> mm. Yeah. Uh, he was just in forests and I just biffed my shots and he rolled fives. And then he did not let me out of that position. Did you deploy kind of similar where you were on the line and like at risk of getting uh, getting hit turn one like that? Yeah, so he did actually go all in to hit me turn one. He hemmed and hawed about it, and then he decided what I think was the correct decision, which is I got to go in and just hope that Jack's return fire doesn't do enough and that the board position looks very good. And he had a lot more rack fires than Nick, but he did have this list in Urgle. So I actually did commit Repentia to killing like boats and random squads and stuff, and that felt good. Uh, he committed on me. He blew up a couple of rhinos, if I'm remembering correct, and he uh, didn't do that much damage. Maybe picked up a retribute squad, which is kind of annoying. I don't think he did, though. I think he killed a, an arcoflagellant. And then it turned into a war, but a war where he still had, like, three votes. And that's not a winnable war, unless they mess up, and James is a fantastic player, and he didn't. So in our game, you got out these retributors, and, you know, Dice willing, you blew up five raiders on turn one. Dice not willing in the second game against Arkeldar, you blew up two or three. Is, is a large part of the match how many Raiders you just blow up with your multi-monster retributors? You played Dark Eldar a couple other times. How'd they go? Uh, well, my first game, actually round one, I pulled Dark Eldar on Dawn of War with like no obscuring terrain. He had a ton of lances and blasters, <laughs> all set with rerolls and stuff ready to just pop like four of my rhinos. I couldn't hide them anywhere. It was great. I went first, though, and built four of his, uh, four of his Raiders. And you actually played my... Uh... That's a yeah. Josh from Arkansas. That's a local here. Oh yeah, that you played, I believe. Yeah, yeah. It was, his list was his list was scary because uh, if it had gone first, I would have lost a whole bunch of my my rhinos and been stranded in my deployment zone. It would have been rough. Instead, it was I who did the stranding, and I stranded him in his deployment zone. Popped, you know, uh, what's the heavy support boat? The Ravager. The Ravager. I popped a Ravager, and I killed three of his raiders in his deployment zone. And from there, I got the good trades. He had to push into me. Uh, Draxis plus a squad of Repentia took an entire side of the board by herself, just charging, making fight last, fighting with Repentia, charging, making fight last, fighting with Repentia, until they just went into his deployment zone. Um, but it was a slugfest where I was on top, he didn't have as many combat threats, and I blew up his shooting turn one. So it's almost a momentum thing. Like, whoever goes first gets the first strike, gets the first position on board control, gets all of that. And that's from there, it kind of snowballs into... A victory one way or the other. Is that pretty typical? It, it is. In our game, I think I wanted you to go first because you would just castle up in the corner the entire game and throw little threats at the center objective. I would have had to try to wall it out to force you to come out. So that would have made the game interesting. Like I would just put like three rhinos and a squad of battle sisters on the center objective and mm -hmm. just said, come on, you know, force you out of the ruin. You can't just throw a five-man squad of, of warriors onto it. Would have played out completely differently. Who knows? But I think I prefer for you to go first in that matchup. But every other matchup, please let me go first. Just please. Yeah. So is that, I mean, that it might be a sisters thing where, like, you only have so many units, and as, as great as they are, multi-multi retributors and, and repentia and stuff like that, they, they fire, and then they better have done the damage. Otherwise, it's kind of going to go wrong. Are there ally options or things like that you could throw into your sisters? Are you open to that for solving this problem? 
Uh, the problem is there's not that many units that kill raiders particularly efficiently. You could consider allying in Contemptor Dreadnoughts with Volkites, uh, dual Volkite Culverins. Those things, those things do work against raiders, for sure. Uh, if you wanted to ally in in something, you could also ally in Admech with their uh, Scorpius Disintegrators. Out of line of sight shooting is good. It's decent into pretty much every unit in Dark Elder. Not particularly fantastic into every unit, but decent. You could do that. Uh, either of those would be would be fine. You would lose your, your your bonus for being pure in Sisters, and that would suck. I took the Passion every game, and it was amazing. That sixes are to hit in combat are an extra hit. It was amazing, but you would give that up to get like three Scorpius Disintegrators. That would feel very good. Uh, you could also go up to three large squads of Repentia instead of just two and a half large squads of Repentia, which does give you a bit more flexibility if there are things you need to trade into. Um, yeah, it's interesting you say that. I know earlier in the Dark Eldar musings we had, like where I was helping you work on your sister's list and just in theory about how to beat Dark Eldar, one of the things we keep teaching at Art of War is that we want to lower our threat profile. We want to MSU our army, multiple small units, so we can not get traded into so painfully when five incubi hit us. And it doesn't take a huge amount of force to kill five incubi or five witches or whatever in return, so apply less. So we were all thinking like five-man Repentor squads, maybe one nine-man just because there are other armies in the game. Five, that's where five-man Arcoflagellants was born, that kind of stuff. So it's interesting you're going back into larger squads. What's, is this really just my Slits and Urgles, or is this something else too? Uh, it's mostly Slits and Urgles. Honestly, I think we're going to start seeing them more as people play with them. They're very strong. Um, and they're the only thing in your book that I can't, that, that I have to kill with one particular thing, right? The rest of my army can't kill Solicitors. If, if they're running the, you know, if they're running the, the house at the end of the, the game, they're just going to run me over. I have no way to deal with them, uh, unless I have Repentia left and having three full squads, you know, it's an extra 64 points. It's not great to try and find that, but you can. And I feel like they're going to be, start popping up more and more in lists. Mm -hmm. Um, the other thing is it opens you up a lot more if your opponent leaves a couple of boats next to each other to take an eight-man, nine-man squad and go kill both of the boats, three of the boats. In my, uh, my last game against Dark Eldar, which was, I think, my last game of the tournament, I actually charged a squad of eight-man Repentia because he didn't have Slits and Urgles, so I didn't have to keep him alive. So I charged them into three boats that were all right next to each other and just picked all three up easily. Yeah. It's, uh, there's definitely value there. So, because, like, it's not like five Repentia... It's not like Nine Repentia don't have jobs to do against other Dark Elders. Like They'll just pick up boats that are near each other. And it's easy to have boats near each other. You're trying they're to, huge. They're huge, and they're trying to hide from multi-multi-rutcha beaters. There's only so many places they can do that, and they're all right next to each other. Yeah. No, against my, my last round opponent, I killed like six of his boats in one turn because I charged three of them with, with uh, Repentia, and I charged, and I shot the rest off the board. Mm -hmm. And I kind of like that uh, you were talking about the Disintegrators. I think that that kind of answers some some issues you had if you really think about it, you know, because you can hide those back indirect. And if you do get second turn, you know, you have that that indirect shot for anything that comes in the range of them. Yeah, there's a couple problems that solves, actually. It solves your while we stand, we fight problem because they're all your while we stands. They'd be if you took three Scorpius disintegrators, there's your while we stands. My while we stands in my sister's army that I took, awful. So probably, I think it's like the three retributor squads and those always trade. It's bad. So... You get good while we stands. You also get shooting that just shoots every turn of the game, which sisters don't really have that well. They have retributors that shoot fantastically, and they don't get traded into as easily as your opponent thinks they're going to. Like, you can put them in cover, so they have a two-up. They get a five-up invuln if they're next to the 
you know, um, Indomitable Belief Warlord. And you can use Miracle Dice to keep the Multimelters alive. And your opponent, they just tend to underestimate how much damage it takes to actually kill the Multimelters in that squad. So you usually just have like a two or three man squad running around just pew-pewing things off the board. But adding in shooting that can just stay behind a wall and shoot five turns of the game would also be very good in Sisters. And no one really wants to, no one's saying, oh, those are Syndigrators, I want to kill those. They're looking at those, you know, the Repentia and the, and their, or the Repentia and all those. And they're like, oh man, that's what I need to, I need to deal with a threat that's in my face. So yeah, yeah. And they're behind a wall and nothing else in your army is behind a wall. So, you know, you have, you probably have like, if just off the top of my head, sounds about right. You'd have like four rhinos, three squads of retributors, maybe two squads of Repentia, some troops, and then the Scorpius Disintegrators. And that list shoots really hard. And it fights pretty well, and it would just be uh, it would it would be better into Dark Eldar for sure. Because honestly, underwhelmed by the Arc of Flagellants into them. Really? So I know we took Arc of Flagellants specifically as a tech choice for Dark Eldar. Why why do they not do the magic? They just they just didn't they didn't do enough. They couldn't get any of the buffs from Miracle Dice or anything like that, and they tended just to to hit random units and. Not do as much for their points. They're 75 points, and I, I they'd end up trading into things that were worth 75 points after those things had already done something. They weren't bad. You could totally have one to three in your list, and I would be very happy with that. But you can also remove them and put other stuff in. The Sisters, MSU, Rhino Rush list is very modular. What do the Arcoflagellants do? So they're, um, you can get three to nine, I think, three to ten, but usually you'd stay three to five. Uh, they're 15 points a model. They have... Two attacks each, and they make D3 attack, D3 hit rolls per attack. So each of them is two D3 attacks, and the sergeant has three D3 attacks. If they're next to a priest, that's an extra D3 attacks apiece. And for two CP, you can max them out. So you can make it so they have 48 attacks if they're next to a priest and you spend two CP. They natively reroll the hit, hitting on fours, and their strength five minus one, one damage. So they, they hit really hard, but you never really end up wanting to... Sp- to do the full 48, you, they usually have around 30 attacks. For a squad of 75 points, that's really good. It's really good. They die to a stiff breeze, which kind of sucks. Um, they are good. You can cut them. You can put them in your list. You can have a lot of options in MSU Sisters. They also don't take up uh, lead slots, so you can slot them into a Sisters army who's normally lead starved uh, pretty effectively. That's true. That as well, yes. Yeah, those trade pretty well, and they have the five plus fill no pain. So you're not just um, they're not just dying to random shots that give them no save at all. Which is pretty cool. Yeah. The the one thing I would say is I usually had them in my rhinos along with my retributor squads, and they did pretty well. But anytime the rhino died and there were casualties, I would generally take it out of the arco flagellants, um, which meant that by the time they're actually hitting my opponent, they were like three or four mans. So that would make them less effective. So maybe. Uh, I should have a squad of battle sisters in there whose benefit is having obsec. And then when they get out, then the arcoflagellants get in. And then maybe they're a little more safe and I end up having a few more that hit. Just uh, just a thought. Yeah, I think that's a really good one. You, I do something really similar with my Dark Eldar too. Like, well, tanks blow up. I and mean, we're going to take a lot of transports that a lot of tanks are going to blow up over time. And when they die, and I don't mean explode, like when they die, you're going to roll a bunch of dice to see how many ones you roll. Emergency disembark is a really useful rule, but you don't want to roll ones and twos and lose your important people. Having bullet catches in there, your obsec sister squads, not your arc of is a really good way to do that. Yeah. Oh. So back to the game, though. I think we've gotten a little off topic here with the list ideas, which is great. Those sisters are awesome. But conceptually, you want to trade well in Dark Yellar. This is, this is pertinent to doing well. 
You want to make sure your units that are the skirmishing squads are doing the skirmishing, the repenture are killing raiders and slits, and the multi-melt retributors are just blowing up raiders and not getting killed in return. How, what does that process look like? How do you actually set that up? So you uh, fill your rhinos, you put characters and repentures in two rhinos, and you put retributors and either arcoflagellants or battle sisters in the other three, and then you push up. Not wild aggression, you don't shove them into your opponent's deployment zone in turn two or whatever, but you, you start moving up and start contesting objectives with rhinos and with people getting out of the rhinos and with... So anytime you put a rhino on an objective and you get something out, you can then just hop a five-man battle sister squad into the rhino. And it makes that rhino really annoying to blow up because if they do, then OPSEC gets out on the objective. Um, but you, you tend to just push your army up aggressively but conservatively aggressively up the board at your opponent just to hold the objectives. You're not looking to go into their deployment zone and table them but you're looking to establish firm control over the objectives. And then when your opponent tries to interact with you, it's, it's, then it starts a, a fight. And you're, you're looking to get into that fight and utilize the fact that all of your units have rhino shields and none of their units are inside rhinos, and that makes their trades not as effective. Into Dark Eldar, they have raiders. So you have to make sure it's a two-step process. Your retriers get out, demech them, they hit you, then your stuff gets out of rhinos and kills the stuff that got out. That's simplistic, but that's what you're aiming for. Uh, when you're doing list construction, you're looking to not, other than Repenture, which we talked about potentially having uh, viability as a lot of big units, um, you want to keep your average points cost low, as low as possible, other than the Repenture, potentially. So five-man units, five-man Zephyrim, very solid. The five-man Seraphim put in a lot of work. They come down double tap with uh, four hand flamers. Does a lot of damage. They can charge on objectives and things like that. They fight pretty decently. I do like Seraph. They were very good. I would even run like 30 personally. I wouldn't. I know. <laughs> We've had this conversation. <laughs> um, so, Blake, what do you think of this? I think it, it all makes sense. You know, you really, and I think this is the way we're seeing, you know, the game go as far as like the last couple armies that have come out. You know, you really want to try to maximize efficiency in small packages. So like everything that he's talked about is basically saying, how can I make something that can efficiently, you know, trade into Dark Eldar? How can I make things that can move, control the board while not dying instantly back? You know, it, it makes a lot of sense, just everything he said. And, and this is his thought process on, from list building to how he's changing the way he's playing into pretty much everything in the meta. Do you think there's a... Uh... A counterpoint to be made here that we're going about thinking about the wrong way and think like by that I mean you're trying to trade over and over and over again to, to decent success. Um, you're like, how do I lower my threat profiles and, and trade really well? What if instead of trading you start taking? And by that we go down the whole rabbit hole of take a lot of indirect fire, um, like the, the, the Scorpius disintegrators, a lot of just firepower. Mortifiers are pretty good in a dark yellow just because it's just so much heavy bolters. Dark yellow hate heavy bolters, so. Is there a point where you can just run a gun line and, and transition that direction or not really? You know that's that what point, uh, you know that's one. what I've been wanting to do. You know, I've been oh, wanting really? to do indirect fire and the and just the volume. I think I think there's something to be said about going I mean, I, I think it's the counter meta, right? Like I think that's kind of the counter to what we're talking about even. It's pretty hypothetical, but yeah, I'm like I'm working my way through the logic. Like, how do you beat the cheapest trade war possible? You gain three out something just is the cheapest trade, but you take, you don't trade. That's how you win the trade war. So what does that look like? 
the problem is, and, and the reason I, I didn't go for this actually is that, uh, I, in my opinion, I think you're just a worse ad mech at that point. And I think there's mm-hmm. plenty of avenues for Dark Elder to win against ad mech. Um, you, you can still just get run over. It still turns into a trade war because you're fast enough where when I shoot you, you can still hit me in return. But the problem, the difference is once you're all over me, I don't get to trade anymore. Yeah. No, that's definitely a good point. It's Dark Elder are so flexible. Like we have, we have devolved it into a trade war because that's the game you're trying to play with them. If you try to do something else, I'll just do like change my strategy as well as a Dark Elder player. They're so adaptable in that regard. Well, I think you, you kind of touched on it, but you know, the, the reason we talk about trades is I think that's really the way the game went when the Space Marine book came out. You know, Space Marines trade super efficiently. So it was always the question was always how can we do what Space Marines are doing with other armies? How can we counter that? And I think we're kind of taking that same formula and pushing it into the Dark Eldar meta. And maybe that's not maybe that's not the way we're supposed to be going. You know, maybe it's the, the opposite. You know, that's just something I think about. Yeah, definitely. Um, so Jack, moving forward with your sisters, how do you want? What do you think is the is the way forward? Like just off the top of your head. Honestly, MSU Sisters felt really good. I think getting a matchup that is that can be close into you know the Dark Eldar list that placed first and fourth at that event is is not a bad thing. I think that you, I just need to play it a little more, like refine my play into that matchup. Uh, honestly, MSU Sisters felt fantastic in most of my games, and it felt good in the, into your army too. It's just it didn't work out that way. Um, I think you can mess around with some of the units in there. If if you personally don't prefer one of the units that's in the list, you can cut it and put something else cheap in there. Something else that's cheap and fills the same role. So if you don't like the Ark of Legends, and I ended up cutting them for a, a game I had on stream with John, I put in two squads of Zephyr, and they felt really good. They came out of you know out of reserve, use Miracle Dice, get charges, have some AP in combat, uh, have pistols, I don't know. Uh, they felt really good. I added an extra character into the army because sisters get a lot of uh, a lot of power out of characters standing back up or being hard to kill, um, and you can make some good combat characters that way. So you can you can end up messing with the army somewhat, but I really like five rhinos and I really like a lot of small units in them. They felt I felt really good. Interesting. So you're saying like there's no reason reason to go crazy and try to reinvent the wheel. Like you have a formula here. It's just a matter of really getting the nuts and bolts and. And learning the details to it. I think so. Yeah. Oh, that's great. I mean, I make sense. You came in 10th. I mean, that's a fantastic, like, nationally recognized uh, finish, you know? So, I mean, kudos to that. And I think you really do have a good template moving forward for the win with Sisters. Mm-hmm. I think so as well. So, Sisters are one of those armies. It's There's no... And I played Sisters too, so I can speak to this from personal experience. There is no, this is the magic formula. It's so tailorable to your specific, what you want to do with the army. Jack could run emulators instead of rhinos, I'm sure, and a lot, and, you know, it's different, but it's it's still functionally very similar. So there's a lot of flavor seasonings you can do with sisters. So at some point, it really is just a matter of allocation on the table and playing it there. So uh, in this case, it was the Repentia have to go into the slits, and the Repentia need to be sure to do they do Repentia level worthy jobs. I think that's a great takeaway. I think the only things I would not cut out of the list at all are, I mean, beneficence can mess. You just want to. Um, but the main things are the Repentia, and I would not cut any Retributors. Those are the only things I think you have to leave in the list. Three units of Repentia, and you can say whether you want a big one big squad, two small ones, or two big ones, one small one, or three big ones, or who knows. 
but three squads of Repentia and three squads of Retributors. And then everything else can change. Take Traxxas out. I loved her, but you can do that. Anything Jack, you did a lot right in this event. I think we should just briefly go into this, too. I mean, you you won twice against Dark Elder, as we talked about. You lost twice, you won twice, which, I mean, 50-50 into top players is fantastic. So if you had to give one piece of advice to like a new player who's saying, I'm listening to this, I want to run Sisters, but I'm scared to death of Yukari, give, what's your like one piece of like tactical advice if you're going to sit down and coach someone starting Sisters? Um, well, I think it's... If you lose to Nick Navadi playing Dark Eldar, I, A, you can learn a lot from that game. And B, I don't think that's necessarily like a bad thing for the army. The army is very flexible, um, so you can, you can play well into a lot of different things. But if you're, if you're thinking about not playing Sisters because you're worried about Dark Eldar, I would say don't be. You, you, there's a lot of room in there to leverage player skill and also to learn in the matchup. I would say you, you learn a lot by playing into Dark Eldar because you, you have to use all the little tricks. You have to play like the small game. You don't get to just win big on one thing happening. You have to, you have to play unit by unit and like match your units into their units and play the small skirmishy game. So it's a very, so very good way to learn. Yeah, so you're saying it's kind of a good army to learn kind of the, the board control, like, patience kind of gameplay. Yeah, because you're not sitting back and just rolling dice at them. You have to move up, and you have to uh, contest objectives, and you have to play over the center of the board. So it's a great way to learn how to play the basics of 40K, honestly. Learn how to make good trades. If you're making bad trades with sisters, you're going to lose. If you make good trades with sisters, you're going to do well. So Perfect. it's a great way to learn the basics of 40K or to really refine them if you already have a good grasp on them. Nick, do you have any other questions for Jack? No, I think this was awesome, Jack. It's been great talking to you. I think you have a great foundation here with your sisters. And like you said, it's one of those armies you really have to take to the nth degree and put and learn every detail because they're not going to solve their problems by really 180 in your list. They only they have a core foundation, and it's good. You have to just learn how to apply every little trick you have. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. So we actually had one question from the Q&A from the listeners of episode one. Um, so we'll just jump right into that, Nick, and we'll try to fill this question and answer it the best we can. Uh, the question comes from Tom Carroll. He's out in North Carolina. He says, I love all those Hellraiser-esque grotesque and all their ilk. What is the best way to run a homunculi covenant heavy list? Which I think is an interesting question because we're really not seeing a lot of that right now. So. The Homunculus Covens definitely took quite a hit um, from the traditional sense. They they lost their four-up invuls from Prophet to Flesh, and that was a big thing of what, what made them tick. Uh, you're seeing a lot more offense come out of them with Dark Technomancers. So their tests with liquefier guns are are awesome as a platform for getting... Like, you can put five grotesques in a raider and give all five liquefier guns, and that's like a much more potent raider than your normal Rackle raider. Um, they're not quite as points efficient, which is why people typically go for the racks. But you could make an army that's like super durable, grotesque, coming and just spamming flamers at somebody. And I think that'd be really strong. What about no, uh, James Kelling was taking uh, raiders with three grotesques and five racks, and you could fit all that in one boat. Oh wow! And that was that felt really strong. Yeah, the grotesque count is two models each, and the racks got one obviously, so that's a total of eleven. Raiders actually transport eleven, so that's great for also. When the raider dies, you're not losing grotesques to ones, you're losing racks to ones. It's not a lot worse. 
Well, that's pretty cool, actually. I did. I didn't even see that. Yeah, it's cool. You could actually fit eleven, so you could get those in there. What about Chronos? I think Chronos might have some play. I don't know if that's something people are looking Kronos into. Chronos are but. super underrated. Yeah, um, they they're not. They don't do that much. That's okay. They're seventy points for a reasonably tough thing. That's a monster to block for characters and and so on the objectives. Dark Elder don't have that much tough for points efficiency. So the Chronos being seventy points for as tough it is is actually pretty nice. Also can shoot a liquefier and like a crappier liquefier. So still 2d6 flamer shots coming in this thing with dark technomancers. And it's yeah. got strats that you'll probably never use, but they are very useful if you can find the time. That's cool. You know, it's a cool thought. It's, it's still this, it's kind of like a, a poor man's liquefier with some toughness. So this, it kind of, I think it gets kind of some synergy out of that at least. Yeah. Cool. Any, any other thoughts on that? No, I think that should just about do it. Do we have any other questions or how can people ask questions for future art of war and broken episodes? Yeah, so for future questions, I'm going to get my email right this time. I feel like I always mess it up. It's email me at blake at theartofwar40k.com. And you can email us any questions, concerns, any feedback you have, or any questions for any of the guests or hosts we have here. And uh, we'll be happy to answer them for you. So thanks for joining us today. Be sure to listen to part three, which will come out next week. Thank you. Like what you just listened to? Check out Art of War and the Art of War Down Under podcast on the competitive 40K network. The Art of War 40K.com.